You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today, we're going to give a behind-the-scenes view of the pod. But first, let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what has been happening with you? Well, we are a little bit past the halfway point of summer for our family as we're recording this. And I just want to say how much I love summer. It has been amazing. And last year at this point, I was really feeling the lack of childcare and feeling really overwhelmed and very much ready for school to start. Where this year, I think I will also be ready for school to start and excited about that transition. But we've just been having a really relaxing, nice time. We took one trip. We have one trip still to take. We've been doing lots of swim lessons. We've been doing a lot of park time and unstructured play. We've been eating a lot of watermelon. Just all around good things. And I think the main thing that has changed is just I have a better attitude going into summer and have just accepted it for what it is and am incorporating some of the mindfulness thoughts and practices that make me feel much more relaxed than I did last summer. You're a mindfulness success story, Sarah. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) I have my moments and then there are other moments, not so much. But overall, it's been feeling really nice, and I'm loving it. What has been happening with you? So along the lines of changing your expectations to enjoy your children more, I recently removed the Facebook app from my phone. Mm. I love Facebook. I'm not going to give it up. I have a very special Facebook mom group that's dear to me that I would miss too much if I left permanently. But I started to feel this summer like I was just wanting to look at Facebook on my phone all the time, even when there were no updates. I just (laughs) wanted to look at it and scroll and was seeing things that I didn't really care about and getting frustrated with my kid for needing attention Mm -hmm. and to be parented by me, her mother. (laughs) Been there. So... (laughs) I thought, what would make this better? Well, the answer is taking Facebook off my phone. I did it, I think, a week ago, and I've loved it. I still do check Facebook on my computer, but I don't feel the sort of compulsion that I was having to get on there all the time. I'm enjoying Plum much more. We're having hilarious conversations on a daily basis, and I think it's because I'm paying more attention to her. That sounds great. Question. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you ever then go into your browser and go to Facebook on your phone? Because when I have deleted Facebook from my phone when I was still a Facebook user, that is what I did. And then that was when it really became clear to me that I had a problem. (laughs) I have tried that a couple times waiting for something. So waiting for the bus or when I'm actually not with Plum. Mm -hmm. But Facebook on my browser is super clunky and frustrating, and it does not give the same sort of instant gratification kind of thing that the app did. And so it is less tempting for me. I see. Well, I'm glad you figured out something that works for you. Thanks. Let's move on to talk about what we've been reading. What is your latest read, Sarah? So my book club picks books, six books at a time, and we Mm. recently did where everyone submitted their books and we voted on them. And this book is one that the group did not choose, but I was so intrigued by the description that I decided to get it from the library and read it myself. It is called Evicted by Matthew Desmond, and it is a nonfiction book about housing. And it is based in Milwaukee in two different neighborhoods. So the author actually goes and lives there. 
He lives in what's considered the worst trailer park in the city, in the south side, in a predominantly white area. And then he moves to the north side, in a predominantly black neighborhood, and I believe lives in a rooming house there. And you really don't hear him talking from his perspective about living there. The way the book is set up is it follows specific families and their experience with housing throughout the year. Mm. And as the title would suggest, several of the people he follows get evicted throughout the course of it. And he's not only following the families that are the tenants, but he's also following two landlords and getting their perspective as he goes through. I love the way he constructed the book because it was so well-researched and really thought-provoking, but also you wanted to keep going and find out what happened to these families, and you became very attached to them and the outcome. Mm. I think it was a really great way to add the human element to the story, where it could have been a much more factual, dry look at housing. I think before I read this book, I had a lot more experience thinking about it from the landlord's perspective, specifically Mm. of buying a property as an investment and how to get the best return on that. And that is a wealth generating opportunity. And thinking about people who are landlords in all situations, but specifically in very low income areas, that it's often seen as a way to generate cash flow. It's not about maintaining equity in the house. So they buy places that are in terrible shape. They can honestly still charge a lot of rent that it doesn't bottom out super low. And the conditions are horrible. I mean, things that I would consider uninhabitable in many cases. No working sink or toilet or bathtub and infestations. But the ways in which people are trapped. And then if they're unable to make the rent and get evicted, how it continues to spiral down. And that there are fewer and fewer options for them with an eviction record. Mm. He specifically focuses on how a disproportionate number of evictions are of Black women with children Mm. and the ways in which they are systematically denied fair and adequate housing. There's so much more to it. I really recommend that people read it. I feel like that's just one aspect of it. There was so much that I had just never considered before. And at the end, he also offers these really concrete solutions to how he thinks we could have a better, more equitable system. And I found that a great way to end the book is not just, here's this terrible situation, Mm -hmm. but what are some real things as a country we could decide to do if we decided it mattered? That sounds awesome. What have you been reading? I recently finished Like a Mother by Angela Garbus, and the subtitle of this book is A Feminist Journey Through the Science and Culture of Pregnancy, which lets you know basically what it's about. I heard about it from friends who were sharing about it on Facebook. So this is a combination memoir and science book. It's my favorite kind of nonfiction where there are facts mixed with personal experience. I love her perspective. She's super real, super funny. The science is solid. My favorite chapter in the book is about the placenta, which I have written about before from a science perspective. And I just Mm. think that the placenta is fascinating. Basically, any article about the placenta, I can't not read it because I I find (laughs) it so interesting. But there are other great topics that she covers as well. The book is really short. It was a quick read. So I would absolutely recommend this book for folks who aren't going to be icked out by pregnancy and birth-related stuff. I mean, she does go into fairly detailed details about birth, pregnancy, recovery, postpartum. So if that's going to be a trigger for you, avoid it. But if not, go get it right now. 
So today we're going to talk about how we produce friendlier, which is something that I found really fascinating to hear about on other podcasts like the Mom Hour and the Girl Next Door podcast. But first, we're going to start with a brief history of the pod. (laughs) So in the same way that we've been inspired to do this episode based on the Mom Hour and the Girl Next Door podcast, a lot of our inspiration came from being fans of the Girl Next Door podcast and then hearing their behind the scenes episode. I think that came out maybe in spring 2016. So I had just had Plum and was sort of thinking about what the next steps were for me projects-wise. So creative projects, work projects, etc. And we started brainstorming about podcast structure. And I can't remember, were we voxing then or still talking on the phone? No, we had started voxing, which for those who don't know, is a voice messaging app. But you were like, hey, we really enjoy listening to each other's voices. Let's make a podcast together where other people can listen to these conversations. Yes. So Voxer was a big part of it then, too, because mm-hmm. we were able to have what felt like to us really fascinating conversations. <laughs> Still up for debate how objective of a assessment that was. Right. But anyway... <laughs> We thought, this is a great idea. And we had sort of these other great women who had paved the way for us. And earlier that year, so before Plum was born, so in the fall of 2015, I had joined an audio working group at Duke. So these were communicators at Duke who were talking about producing audio content. Most of what they were talking about was in service of things at the university. But I learned a lot about audio production through meeting with that group. So our conversations around us starting a pod were also informed by what I had learned there. And I remember feeling really excited about the idea, but really overwhelmed with the audio stuff Mm. and just feeling like I did not have it in me to do the editing and be the person who was doing the production. And as we'll talk about later, I am not. (laughs) And that you had said, okay, I feel like I can handle that part if you're still on board for the project. And that made it feel a lot more doable to me because even having heard some about other people's process, it still felt like, wow, that is a lot. Yeah. And it can be a lot, which we'll talk about, as you said, a little bit later. So the first concept we came up with was called three thirds. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that we would talk about three different topics for 10 minutes each, and the pod would be 30 minutes long. So we were on board for that. We were talking about Gmail addresses for the three thirds podcast and Instagram handles and all this stuff. We made an outline with our first three topics. Mm -hmm. And then we attempted to record that episode. And I think we tried to do it while Plum was taking a nap, which ended up being a disaster because of course that was the one day where she didn't sleep for two hours Mm -hmm. but then also while we were talking we realized that the podcast concept was maybe not the best I think we got halfway through or one topic in and we were like this sucks (laughs) (laughs) this is boring we're trying to fit too much in or we don't have enough to say it wasn't balanced in the way that we had envisioned that it would be yeah so we went back to the drawing board And then decided to build the show around things we already like talking about. So I think in our very first episode, we said, you know, a lot of our phone conversations when we were talking on the phone a lot were about what we were eating and what we were reading. So you all know we have the reading and eating sections and then rotating topics in the style of a lot of conversational podcasts that are out there. So Friendlier was born. I named it. I looked back in my email this morning. I sent you a whole list of names. Friendlier was my favorite, Mm. but I had, you know, brainstormed a ton of them. (laughs) Rejected names worth mentioning. Some of them not worth mentioning, (laughs) but two that I thought were fun were Friendly Show and 
the PAL sessions. <laughs> I have not looked back on this email. I do remember getting a list of name ideas because for listeners who may not know, Abby is the best namer around. So if I ever need a name for anything, Abby is my go-to person because she is excellent at coming up with lots of ideas. Love naming things. Love it. So another thing we have to brainstorm is our topics. And this is something that has evolved over time. When we first started, I think we didn't plan very far out. We were usually one or two episodes out with topic ideas. And even then, I think it was often, oh, we're going to record this week. What do we want to talk about? (laughs) And we'd send an email back and forth and pick the topic and go from there. I feel like this really changed the first summer. So we were about nine months in and we had a big podcast meeting where we talked about how the podcast had gone so far, what was working, what didn't. And we made a few different changes, including to how we outline. But one of the changes we made was sitting down and choosing topics for several months at a time right? and working off of that instead of doing it on a week-by-week basis. A seat-of-the-pants basis, if you will. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And when we're picking those topics... We usually try and pick some that are more lighthearted and things like the day in the life or guilty pleasures, things along that line, along with some more serious or heavy topics and think about creating balance in that way. Right now, we are at the end of our topics list. So if listeners have ideas, we're about to be brainstorming for the fall and winter season. So if you have ideas of things you'd like to hear about soon, be sure to send us an email about it because... We would love your input. We sure would. And some of the original topics were ones that we had taken from that three-thirds brainstorm that we felt like we could really talk about this longer and want to expand on it and have a whole episode focused around it. So we were still able to get some things from those original ideas. Mm -hmm. And looking back, I am much happier with the structure that we chose for the show than our original idea. But I also wonder with that first recording session, how much of that was just getting used to the whole idea of going back and forth and recording. Mm. And at that point, we weren't using the video. So it Mm. also feels different when we're looking at each other now through the computer. But before we were just doing the audio. And I feel like a lot of that has just become more natural. So I do think we have a better concept. But I also think there's just kind of those false starts are a natural part of it. I wonder even if we had this concept at the beginning, how we would have felt about the very first run through. Yeah, that's such a great point. Like if we went back and started three thirds now, knowing what we know and having our systems really in place, right? whether we would have a more successful time of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I also know one thing that you had talked about when we were thinking about structure is having those furniture pieces is really helpful for listeners and for creators to know how you're structuring the show. Right. And that people know that at the start of every show, we're going to do life lately, and then we're going to do books, and then the main topic, and then eating, and that they know what to expect, and that it's not just us talking at random for an hour. (laughs) And like you said, it does help us. Yes. It provides that structure, but still a lot of flexibility within it. Right. So once we choose a topic... Our next step, like you've mentioned already, I think, is to create an outline in a Google Doc. So we do that so that it can be shared. And Sarah and I alternate weeks leading the show. Y'all have probably noticed that some weeks I guide the conversation, some weeks she does. Whoever's week it is to lead the show is the one who makes the outline, but the format is basically the same. Sarah, what is prepping for a show like for you? I usually do the outline a day or two before, depending Usually just one day before (laughs) is the way it's been working out. 
But usually a couple days before when I know what the topic is, I start to think through what I want to be sure to say and cover because I find if I do the outline too late, I'll think, oh, I really wanted to mention this Mm. or oh, I forgot to make this point. And so I do try and get my wheels turning maybe the weekend before we record. We usually record on Thursdays. And I especially do that for the recurring segments because even if our outline isn't shared and complete yet, which is often the case (laughs) several days in advance, (laughs) that I still know, oh, I'm going to need to pick a book. Which book have I read I want to share? What do I want to say about it? And think through all of that. And I usually do that while I'm biking. Nice. What does it look like for you? So when it's my week to make the outline, I try and do it a few days in advance. Used to be just one or two which I realize is not helpful to you in terms of thinking through the questions. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying to do it at least by the Monday before the Tuesday at the very latest. (laughs) But in terms of filling out the outline, so whatever pieces I'm going to say, I usually fill it out the morning we're recording. My writing schedule has been such that most of my deadlines are on Wednesday and Thursday, Mm -hmm. which means that I don't have a whole lot of brain space for the pod until those deadlines are over. Right. But I think I am doing a similar thing to you in that I'm thinking through things sort of in a casual way on my own before I sit down to actually type. Also want to (laughs) say... that things have gotten much better since we started doing the more formal detailed outline further in advance. Mm -hmm. The pod has gotten better content-wise, in my opinion, but also it's gotten so much easier to edit when we're not just thinking through what we're saying right before we're saying it as we're recording. Yes. Allows us to be more efficient recording and allows me to be more efficient editing later. And we've always worked from an outline, but before it was just very basic Mm -hmm. that for the reading section, we would just each write the title. Right. And we wouldn't have any thoughts written out. Where now we have a structure for the reading section and think through that on the outline as opposed to in our heads. And I think, yes, there was so much working through what we wanted to say and that I am thankful I was not the one editing. So (laughs) once we've done that, then we record. Let's each talk a little bit about our recording setups and preparing the physical space for recording. I've been recording in the library. Our public library has this really great area called Level Up, and there are two audio recording studios, and then they also have editing computers and a video production studio. I did not know about this prior to starting the podcast. I was actually calling to get a study room, and they said, oh, you're recording a podcast. Actually, we have a place exactly for that purpose which is amazing. So awesome. Love libraries. I still bring my own microphone, even though they have them here. I've tried a few times using it, and the sound quality is a little bit different. It's not necessarily better or worse, but right now we both have the same mic, which I think helps keep the sound quality consistent. I'm also just more familiar with how to do my setup through this, Mm -hmm. where through the library, it's through a mixer, which is just a little bit more complicated, where the mic we have, you can plug directly into the computer. Yeah. And we will link to the mic that we use in the show notes. My library also has space for audio recording. I don't think it's quite as good as yours in terms of the sound panels and stuff that you have, but it's awesome. It's a nice, quiet space. It has computers. So if podcasting is something you're interested in, but you don't have a lot of money to invest, check with your library first because it's likely they have something that you can check out or use their space or whatever. Yeah. So I use the library's headphones and I also use their pop filter. So I set up my mic, attach the headphones and the pop filter to it, plug it into the computer, and then open up Audacity 
and Skype and our Google Doc on the computer so that when we're recording, I'm seeing all three of those. So Sarah and I aren't in the same place, really. Mm -hmm. We've been in the same place once for recording a podcast. (laughs) And that didn't go as well as one would hope. So (laughs) we're very familiar with this setup. We connect via Skype so that we can see each other on video. That's one thing that Sarah already mentioned helped our conversation be more natural, helped us get better at jumping in, responding at the appropriate times and with the appropriate level of emotion. (laughs) So we record our own separate audio because if you record over Skype, it tends to be much lower quality and harder to get the levels right and to edit well. Especially because there's often a delay, which we can edit out when we each have our own file, but it's harder to do when you're pulling the Skype audio. Exactly. The other thing that we do, which allows us to get that timing right, is that Sarah counts one, two, three, and then we both clap. And so when I'm editing, I can line up the claps, which adjusts for whatever delay is happening in Skype, Mm -hmm. which is a fun trick that I learned on the internet. (laughs) Which is really where we've learned almost everything. To find the mic, I typed in best entry-level mics for podcasting, (laughs) and then I read an article that said to get this one, and I said, that seems pretty affordable, and then I bought it. (laughs) Perfect. So while I've recorded at my library in the past, I currently record in my bedroom because it's easier for me to just stay at home rather than going to the library because we usually record while Plum is in school, and so I have the house to myself. And I choose the bedroom because it's the least echoey or live room in the house, My setup is slightly suspect. I put my computer on my nightstand on a basket. (laughs) My mic is on a book that serves as kind of a shelf on the pulled out nightstand drawer. And I put pillows around to help it be less live. I also often have to edit out animal noises. When Tonks was still with us, it was her nails clicking on the tile floors or barking. But the cats also like to meow and rub their faces on the mic. (laughs) So Sarah, what is the process of actually recording like for you? As I talked about a little bit before, now it feels really routine and I feel much more comfortable with the process where at first it felt very awkward to me Mm. and it also felt like a lot of pressure (laughs) to say things right and well and I did not do that and you must have had to edit out at least half of the episodes at the beginning, (laughs) if not more, of the time that we recorded. So it's become much more natural as we've continued to do this. Mm -hmm. And the process itself, I really enjoy the opportunity to think through things that I wouldn't normally, that I'm reading all the time, but don't always think about what did I like? What did I not like? How would I describe this to other people? What are the most salient points to present? I wouldn't do that if we weren't doing the podcast. And the same with a lot of topics that we cover, that they're usually things I've thought about before, but it is often when we're going through an episode that I'll think, oh, I had never really realized that's how I thought about it or hadn't really put these two things together and seen it in this specific light. And I feel like I'm often learning new things about you through the podcast that (laughs) we've been friends for more than a decade, but there's still things every episode where I think, oh, I didn't know that about you or hadn't really heard that before. And so it's been really interesting for me personally. And then also, I think, really great for our friendship, too. I love that, too. I really enjoy recording the actual show, but I also love our sidebars. Mm-hmm. Y'all hear a little bit of that in outtakes, but we tend to get off topic quite a bit. <laughs> the actual recording has always felt pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. I think because a lot of what I do is talk on the phone to scientists, it feels lower stakes to be talking to my friend for this creative project that we're both invested in. Mm. But I agree with you that it has made me 
think more deeply about the topics that we discuss and reflect in different ways based on the things that you say. So after we record, we each save our tracks separately, and then Sarah shares hers with me on Google Drive. I download it, and then I put them together in Audacity. I use the clapping thing, as previously discussed, to fix the delay. And then how my editing process works is I do one pass just quickly through it, so where I just edit out big sidebars, and (laughs) sometimes if we scrap a question or put something in a different order, I do those sort of bigger edits. Then I remove noise. I amplify both tracks so that they are at the same level and nice and loud. And then I add in our music and sound effects. And then I do a detail pass, which includes the music and sound effects and really makes the sound quality great. I also occasionally do content changes then. Like if I realize on the second edit that we have talked about something a lot of times, sometimes I'll take out a whole chunk. I think that used to happen a lot more in our first episodes, too, that we used to say the same thing in different ways numerous times throughout the episode. Yes. And probably if you go back and listen to those first episodes, there's still a lot of that Mm -hmm. because I have gotten ruthless. I love it. And then once I'm done with that, I send the file to Sarah. And then I listen through one time, usually sitting there with a pen and a piece of paper and then making notes on anything that I think we should change before it goes live. And they're usually very minor things. It's usually about adding in a pause or shortening a pause or details like that. There's not really any content changes that happen at that point. And so the same day, because I'm usually getting the podcast to listen to on Mondays, which is the day before it comes out. It will never be earlier than that. (laughs) This is one of the things, though, is that we are really well matched and that we're both very detail oriented and really want to put out a very good product. But we also really trust each other to get the work done on a sometimes crunched timeline. (laughs) So it works for us. I work best under hard deadlines. Yes. Toward the end of the deadline. I'm never going to be someone who writes a research paper weeks before it's due. No. I'm the stay up all night person. (laughs) It is still a good product. I'm the wake up in the morning person. (laughs) Right. To do it. I could do the show notes before I get the final one because we have the detailed outline. I just don't. So I also (laughs) wait until Monday to do the show notes. Right. So we do that through WordPress. And at the same time, I'm making those notes For any audio changes, I'm also writing down all the things I need to make sure to include in the show notes if we've mentioned links or other things like that. And then you do the final scheduling because you're the one who puts in our audio player once the changes are made and everything's uploaded and ready to go. Yep. So at that point, I make Sarah's suggested changes unless I hate them and then I don't. Just kidding. (laughs) And I'll never know. It's great. Win-win. And then I export an MP3 upload to our podcast host, which is Pippa. We started out using Libsyn, which is a pretty popular podcast host. And then we got a tip from Kelsey of The Girl Next Door that they were using Pippa. And we switched to them maybe six months in and have been really happy. And we switched because it was free at the time, Mm -hmm. that we were paying $15 a month for Libsyn, but that Pippa was offering free hosting to podcasts, which inspired the change because there were no problems with Libsyn. And how that upload works is it's a really simple form. You just throw the audio up there. I copy the show notes directly from the draft blog post that Sarah has done. And then I schedule the pod. So 
There are a couple things we haven't mentioned yet that Sarah and I wanted to make sure to mention about behind the scenes. The next one I'm going to talk about is iTunes approval. If you're wanting to launch a podcast, you want to submit your RSS feed a little bit in advance because it can take several days for that approval process to happen. But then once you do that, then your podcast is available in iTunes for anyone who wants it and also on other podcast apps that use the iTunes API. But that's how our podcast gets to you. And we found out that it takes a couple days because I was traveling to Missouri the day our podcast was launching and it was like, okay, we're going to go live. And then I got some text for you that was like, well, maybe we're not actually going to be live today (laughs) because we didn't realize that you have to do it in advance. So it was a soft launch or a, a slow takeoff for the show. And then we... We're back on the regular schedule. I think a lot of people do a test episode or a trailer Mm. because you can submit that in advance and then you're ready to go on your regular schedule when you actually want to release your episode. But we didn't know that. Nope, sure didn't. Some (laughs) other things that helped us get going were, one, our intro and outro music were done by your sister, Audrey Olina. She is great to work with. I also hired her to do the music for Family Petals, and she's wonderful. Mm -hmm. We also hired our friend Katie Mack to do the artwork for the show that originally we just had a really simple logo that you created in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. And then we did a trade with our friend Katie to do the artwork for the square logo. And then we hired her to do a matching website header. And we love those. Yes, she does beautiful paper cuts and has a lovely Etsy shop that we will link to. And the sound effects that we do in between, we got from a couple different websites. I know one of the big ones is freesound.org. And so when we were looking for a book sound and a cooking sound, Abby just sent me several different (laughs) options for those things, and we chose one of each. The last resource we want to mention is Kelsey Wharton's blog series about starting a podcast. This is on her blog, risingshining.com, and we will link to it in the show notes. But she goes through equipment, particulars of recording, and some other important stuff that is really helpful to look at and was a good guide for us when we were starting out. So after all that, you listeners listen to the episode. Yes. Thank you. We would keep doing this without you probably, but it is much more fun knowing that there are real people (laughs) out there listening. And that said, we would love to hear from you if you have more questions, things that we didn't answer. And as Sarah said, we always love to hear your topic suggestions. So send those our way. And if you're thinking about starting a podcast and have specific questions, we are more than happy to answer anything that we are able to. We are not experts by any means, but we have learned a lot in the last couple of years and would love to pass on that knowledge to somebody else who is interested in getting started. Let's wrap up by talking about what we've been eating. I've been eating pickles. I love pickles. What kind of pickles have you been enjoying? Two specific kinds that I want to talk about, but I really just love all pickles. And I'm very Mm -hmm. excited to get some cucumbers and make some fridge pickles because I just saw a recipe for them. But the two main kinds of pickles that I've been eating are baby pickles that are dill pickles. I feel like pickles are just this perfect summer snack Mm -hmm. because I often want something salty, but then I also want something cold. Mm -hmm. And they are the best of both worlds when you're keeping them in the fridge. The other pickles that we've been eating are okra pickles that are spicy. Yes. They are amazing. I think it's some brand that has Texas in the name, which warms my heart as a native Texan. I really need to look into the DIY pickle situation in part because of the cost. Yes. 
I am glad that you mentioned a non-cucumber pickle because I like cucumber pickles, Mm -hmm. but I love pickled vegetables. Me too. Pickled carrots, cauliflower, okra is amazing, as you already know. Asparagus spears, Mm. also delicious. I was at a neighborhood potluck and they had pickled grapes, which were very intriguing. I've never heard of such a thing. I'm not sure that I love them, Mm. but definitely enjoyed them. I think I just need a little bit more time to get accustomed to the flavor profile that burst into my mouth upon (laughs) eating one. (laughs) Awesome. Sarah, what have you been eating? So a few weeks ago, I texted you and said, I'm having a queso emergency. (laughs) I need your help. And I'm your girl. 100% came through. I was really wanting some white cheese dip and... Then you shared one of your favorite recipes. I texted Neil, told him to pick up the ingredients on the way home. And I think I've made this twice more since then, including last night. We were having easy enchiladas, Mm. which I've talked about before on the show. Just refried beans, tortillas, sauce, cheese. But it takes it to another level to smother the rice and the enchiladas in this cheese sauce which is another thing I learned from you when we were in college and we'd go out and you would say that you wanted, I think, enchiladas that you were getting with cheese sauce, rice with cheese sauce. And I thought, huh, but you were right. It's amazing. <laughs> Let it be known that it was cheese enchiladas with cheese sauce. Never too much cheese in our lives. <laughs> it has just been a lovely summer snack when I'm wanting something heavier because Mm. I feel like so many summer meals are really light, which can feel really good. But sometimes I'm still hungry when I get done eating that lighter fare. And with this cheese dip, I feel satisfied. So I'll link to the recipe that you sent me, but essentially one pound white American cheese, one small can of chilies, one cup of half and half, and some spices. And it's super flexible. You can do all kinds of spices. You can add more chilies. You can add jalapenos if that's your thing. Mm -hmm. And one more note. The second time I made this, I was at Kroger buying the cheese and I said I wanted one pound and I wanted them to give it to me in a hunk instead of slicing it because I was going to shred it. She said, a whole pound? What are you making? And I thought, in what world is one pound of cheese an excessive (laughs) amount of cheese? This feels like a very normal amount of cheese to me. But I did not need the judgment from the deli counter person about my dietary and cheese choices. I'll also (laughs) say you don't have to shred it. Mm. I usually get it in three big chunks and then just fold them in half and break them into chunks. So you can skip the shredding completely. Noted. And then as it melts, you can pick up one of the chunks and eat it (laughs) with the other half melted cheese. That's what I would do. (laughs) Haven't done that, but love that idea. Also, my deli counter folk know me now when I'm buying and they're like, oh, cheese dip again? I'm like, yep. (laughs) You got it. It's nice to feel known. I think that's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. Listeners, we love to hear from you. Share your thoughts on any episodes and your topic suggestions for future episodes on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or by email to friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. We started out, I'm just going to talk about this. How about that? Go for it. That's okay. Womp womp. Not reading the outline. (laughs) No, I just added that part. That's not your fault. Okay. (laughs)
Did you notice I just put this on while you were talking? I did notice. Yes, I did. It's great. Love it. 